0: Alexis and Shante of Let's Talk Sis have created an Instagram platform where they seek to bring awareness to difficult topics, specifically race, diversity, and inclusion, to promote dialogue and initiate positive change. They are committed to making change through connection and humanity one conversation at a time. Both Alexis, whose background is in sociology, and Shantae, whose background is in psychology, have spent the last 20 years advocating for youth and have been keynote speakers, presenters, and panelists at national and international conferences. They've also both served on board of international organizations and have consulted and trained businesses and worldwide organizations and have even created their own Let's Talk Sis workshop. So today I am honored to talk to this dynamic sister duo about how we can be better in our homes, communities, with our kids, families, and friend groups when it comes to racial inclusion. Alexis and Shantae, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so thrilled to have you as my special guest and Alexis, we became friends last year, and Shante, I feel like I'm friends with you, but we kind of just barely met. So thanks for being here, both of you. We're so excited. Thank you for having us. So let's start kind of as much at the beginning as you can. I would love to know where your bravery came from in speaking up. Is that something that your parents taught you? Is that something that's just... in in you, like that's the gift you were born with? Like, how did that come to be? Because I admire that so much about both of you, that you're just bold and brave. So I think a lot of it comes from our mom. So at a really young age, our mom
1: would always tell us, like, if you see something that's wrong or that shouldn't be happening or people are getting hurt, that don't just sit back and complain about it, get involved and do something about it. And so- even like at a young age, I was like setting appointments with our school principal to discuss some things that concern me. Like in fourth grade, I started like a lady leaders club because the boys had one. And I thought, well, we as girls, we want to do service and we want to do kind things. So I met with the principal with some friends and I said, these are the reasons why we need this. And my mom was just encouraging and supporting and always helping us know the steps that we needed to take to make big, positive things happen.
0: I love that. That's so cool that you just started something and said, well, why not us? Why not the girls? I love that so much.
1: That's really her personality, too. In all honesty, she just is really good at advocating and speaking. Um, I don't know that I was ever that bold, truthfully. I think our mom really did instill it in us. But for me, I think as an adult, it's really been, I I am a great advocate of people for people who have a harder time speaking up for themselves. So I don't do as well advocating for myself, but I am really passionate for advocating for others.
0: Well, I have watched you guys just, it seems, become stronger and stronger in your purpose and what you're doing. And I think it's so amazing. So can you tell me what, inspired you to start Let's Talk Sis.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's a really f- interesting journey, I shouldn't say funny, interesting because we have always been passionate about the conversations that we talk about on Let's Talk Sis. That is not something that's new. Alexis had been at the time we started, she had been really really active in her children's schools, community, trying to just make things a safer better place. Mm-hmm. And so because it's stuff we had been involved with prior on a very small scale, someone reached out to us, a friend reached out to us and asked us to do a virtual interview. And this was 2020 height of racial tension. COVID had just hit. Things were really, really difficult. And so we did this virtual interview and we were expecting, you know, when you go live with something, you're expecting, you know, 30, 40 people, you hope you get 30, 40 people. Right. Watching, you know? And so when we hit about 20,000 people live, we were like, oh my goodness people are wanting this conversation more than we ever realized.
0: Yes. And
1: at the end of the interview, they ask us to give our Instagram handle. And both of us have private Instagram accounts that we t- have our cute kids on, you know? Right. But we didn't feel comfortable doing that. So literally- and
0: you're probably like, this is Christmas jammies and not, this isn't going to contribute to what we're talking no. about anyway. Yeah, no, yeah.
1: exactly. Yes. Exactly. So I made- a quick Instagram account, like really, no thought at all. Was I was funny. just like, she turned to me. She's like, "We talk about everything. Let's just be let's talk sis." Like it came to her that quickly. Wow. So I made the account, and then we didn't really think anyone was going to come over. We thought maybe a few people from the, the interview. interview that want to talk about race and diversity and like how can we connect more as humans. Yeah. And so we had like a few hundred the next day. Yeah. And then a few days later, it was seven thousand, and we were like holy cow. So it wasn't like we said, let's talk about this. It was like, we were invited to be interviewed. We told our real life experiences. We talked about our kids, why this topic is so important, which like, you have to understand that we are biracial black girls that grew up in a very predominantly white area. And because we're biracial, we grew up with our mom's white family. We really learned that side of our family history. We're very connected, but our dad passed away when I was actually two and my mom was pregnant with Shantae. And so we weren't as connected to our black side of the family, but we wanted to be. So we were doing a lot of reading and research and family history and trying to connect to our family more. And because we were different, we got asked so many questions growing up all the time. And as little girls, we were trying to explain to adults some of these different things. And it was hard and we didn't feel like we had the right language or we really even had a voice. So I feel like we've had a lifetime of experience talking about it. Mm -hmm. But then in that moment where we see there's 7,000 people on Instagram in a matter of days that are here and eager to have this conversation. Then we had to say, are we going to do this? And what does that even mean or
0: look like? And what's the responsibility that you're taking on there? Yeah. Yes.
1: We jumped in and we didn't know what we were jumping into. I'll be really (laughs) honest. We didn't understand the gravity and the experiences that we would be having, but I don't think either of us have regrets.
0: It sounds like it was just divinely inspired and led. You guys were led to do that. So it's been really just it's benefited me a lot personally but i've also been really inspired too to see that you guys and and i want to talk about this next the the responsibility like i said and maybe the weight that that has taken and the toll it's taken on you guys personally and with your families i think people see sometimes something like that where it's really brave or people are doing really impactful powerful things and they don't see the other side of that. What is that like for you guys to carry that all the time and to feel the responsibility of constantly talking about important things that have a lot of weight? You know, it's not just like clothes right, <laughs> or yeah. no color yeah. or, you know, what's the latest lipstick? Like this is a lot, this is heavy stuff. It's really heavy.
1: And To the point where we've both probably this past, are we going on almost two years? Yeah. Like a little over a year and a half. We've both been to the point where we're in a really bad place because we didn't acknowledge, I think, the heavy weight. And then just with life too. I mean, we've all been living, we've been seeing things that we haven't seen before. We've been living more difficult things just with the pandemic. And then a lot of things that I believe with the racial tension, it was there. Yeah. But so many people didn't have to see it or experience it. It's, it's heavy and we're doing our own healing and we're unpacking. And even, I don't know, but Shantae's had a lot of like really serious health issues in the middle of it. So we're trying to figure out how to continue talking about it, but also protect ourselves and create boundaries because every situation we walk into, someone wants to have a hard conversation because that's right. our platform. <laughs> Right. Right. We say that we're willing to have those hard conversations and you're the
0: safe place. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's interesting when you asked that question, I felt this flood of emotion because I don't feel like people often acknowledge the weight that it really is. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when things happen, when racial tragedies happen, which they do, and they continually do uh, in our communities and across our country, I feel like people immediately turn to us to walk them through it. And we both go to a place of grieving and mourning when these things happen, they affect us so deeply. So to get to that space where we can then educate and teach and connect to people, it's a process. And we go through that process over and over and over again. And it does, It's it's reliving trauma. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is this is in our family history. Mm-hmm. So it's it feels really different than t- talking about someone's situation from afar. Yeah. Because like historically with enslaved people, there's a lot of trauma in these incidents. And even like my husband's family, who's from the South, some of these things we've seen play out in our own family. And so it's not just because we get to view something that's being filmed. It connects to a real lived event that maybe our family wasn't public about or mm-hmm. maybe an experience that we had growing up or things that we were called or told. And so it really does open up this wound, but then yet we're in a situation where people are like, help us walk through this and process it. Yeah. yeah, And we're trying to do that for ourselves too. And so we've we've gotten better at it where we just know, Sometimes we just go dark, and yeah, we have yes. to step away because we we're humans. <laughs> yeah, yes. there's a lot of fear that comes with it, too, as like as we're talking about these traumatic events that happen, it it does elicit fear when we've experienced similar things and and, you know, we want to keep our kids safe and our families safe. And so these things happen. And we think, really, why why is this stuff still happening? And we put a responsibility on ourselves. I think both of us, to try and implement things in schools and communities that are going to help prevent this stuff. And then we're, we're carrying that weight too. Like, are we doing enough? These things are still happening every single day. And
0: it's, it's a lot. I can imagine. And I would imagine too feeling, I don't know. I, so here's, here's an example. That's not, not the same at all. Like I mean, and even this, I want to ask you about this too, because I feel like every, (laughs) it's hard to not like want to tiptoe around everything because I'm just, I think everyone feels so afraid to say the wrong thing. So I don't want it to seem like, oh, I understand. But I talked about an incident that I had where I was pulled over and this police officer was so mean to me and how I reacted to it, how my dad gave me great advice to just sleep on it and see how I felt the next day instead of just like, I'm going to fight back and Anyway, I was merely sharing the experience to talk about how my dad had really great advice for me to sleep on it, think about it, wait a day. And I had someone who wrote me this just scathing email about how dare I put her husband in more of a negative light because he's a police officer. And I just like, I felt like, oh, wow, that wasn't even the point of what I had talked about. And Mm -hmm. yet what happened to me was very real. This cop, or sorry, police officer, whatever, was so mean to me. And I and I remember thinking in that moment, my kids are terrified. He's, he's borderline screaming at me through the window for not for like doing something that was really like blatantly like breaking a law running a red light or whatever. I got caught kind of in a weird situation where I was in between two hard spots where people were honking at me from behind and from the side. And I, anyway, so he's freaking out at me. And I remember thinking in the moment, like, I can only imagine if this if I had a black son who I was afraid for his life being in a situation like that or whatever but but my point is to go back to the point I shared an experience with with the intent to do good and to try to share this positive message that my dad t- sent to me and then to get this scathing email from this woman who was like you're putting my husband in danger so I'm sure that you guys also are are receiving stuff like that too, where you're getting negativity um, for trying to do good. So I just, I I really think that it's probably hard for people to understand just how much you're carrying and how much you <laughs> have taken on by doing so much good. So even today, even like putting this in your schedule and having this conversation and possibly talking about heavy things, I really... Really, really appreciate it. And I see how that's a sacrifice for both of you. So well, thank you. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thank you for acknowledging. Thank you. That.
0: Moving on to being intimidated and being afraid of saying something wrong. I want to talk about that because I feel like I'm a people pleaser. I always want and I have like a big heart and I want to do the right thing always by by everyone. And so I think sometimes I feel, and I think a lot of other people feel like. I want to do, I want to be progressive. I want to do things that are helpful, but I'm also so afraid to say something wrong or say it a little bit, you know, have my intentions taken out of context or anything like that. So what do you say to people who are like, I want to have hard conversations, but I'm afraid of doing something wrong or a misstep or saying something in a way that I didn't mean to say it?
1: I love that question. So Shanti and I have had a lifetime of experience having conversations surrounding race, you know, Mm -hmm. and some of them are not positive experiences at all. And we can even recognize that our commitment to learn and to educate and to see other people's lived experiences has provided us so much ability to navigate these hard conversations. And I would even say, even in the last two years, we've grown where we can even recognize some of the things that we used to think or see are harmful and they're biased. Like we're human too, and we can see our growth and recognize it, but there is no way that we could participate in this conversation if we were not reading, learning, you know, and some of it's really hard and even recognizing there's so much like just nuance in this conversation. And so depending on, maybe you're talking about the lived experience of black people in a certain location in California versus Mm -hmm. black people on the East coast versus people who are coming from the Caribbean or coming from Africa versus black people in the South. And some of the really difficult history that that carries, it's not ever like there is just these blanket statements that can be made. It's so nuanced and there's so many different layers and parts and pieces. And I feel like if you're willing to, first of all, just recognize that mm-hmm. and then recognize that we are all learning and just come in with, I feel like grace and humility and not ever feeling like you're an expert. Like, I don't even, when people are like, you guys are experts on diversity and this and that I'm like, no, There's still so much to learn. learn. I feel like that is a place where you can, you can participate in this conversation. And I feel like when you're invested in learning, the conversation is different. And this is what happens between us where we're like, oh my goodness, I just read this. And then we go down this whole thing. We're like, well, look at this person. And what about this? Oh, this is so fascinating. I used to think this, and now I've expanded my thinking and I can see all of these layers and it gets exciting. And that conversation isn't about us versus them or about, I don't know, like a group of people against another group of people. You're looking at the layers and it's so much easier to to show up in that type of a conversation than like an us versus them type of a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to comment on, because I know we, we have a lot of people who ask us, they're fearful of saying something wrong, even in their friendship groups, you know, Mm -hmm. they have a diverse circle of friends and they're seeking to learn, seeking to understand, but they truthfully things change and words that were appropriate in the nineties are no longer appropriate now. And people say, well, I don't, I don't have a rule book. I don't know what I can and can't say. My advice in those situations is, first of all, I think it's really important to have a very solid understanding of a historical context. It will give you so much insight on why things could be hurtful or harmful. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would say is always focus on the person over the question, if that makes sense. So maybe you're curious about something to take a step back and to say, Is my question going to elicit any kind of trauma? Is it going to bring up maybe a negative event in their life or something that could have happened in their family history? Is this a question I could look up online even? You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yes. And and I think you have a,
1: a relationship with the person that you are having a conversation with. And maybe it's a conversation on race and you have a relationship with them. Your ability to have like an open dialogue with questions is going to be so much greater than I can't tell you how many times Alexis and I are literally stopped by strangers and they ask us really, really hard, heavy things and their focus is answering their question, not on us and maybe what that question could do. If I hope that made sense.
0: Yes, yes, well, it does. And I think
1: it's okay to relate it to other things too. You know, like sometimes examples help and I feel like, Okay. We'll just kind of go here. So Shante and I, shantae has lost a baby and then we've both had miscarriages. And we know that that is a tricky conversation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the way people say things, they mean well, but mm-hmm. it can be really hurtful. Like at least you have other children and right. you're like, oh. yeah. and, there's uh-uh. this, this rule book, and truthfully, yeah. everyone handles trauma differently, you know? Yeah. So It's not like maybe one thing you say to one person, they can shrug it off and the other person will sink into this deep, dark sadness over it. So there's no like standard. However, there really is that principle of, you know, human connection and perspective. When you're humanizing the other person and and you're showing empathy and not applying your logic or your experience to someone else's like just seeking to understand. Yeah. I remember after um, my miscarriage, I really struggled for a long time and I had a friend come up to me and it's going to make me emotional, but like we, there were lots of people around and everyone was tiptoeing around me. Um, and she just said, I'm so sorry you lost your baby. And she just looked me in the eye. She wasn't afraid. She didn't refer to it as a miscarriage. She said, baby. And I just felt so seen. And I just, like, she wasn't afraid to have it. And she just showed me love and extended that to me. And so I feel like sometimes we are entering conversations around race. And when we have friends, like, I'm so sorry. This must be really heavy for you right now. yeah. Instead of, can you prove this to me? Or tell me why your experience was so hard. And that wouldn't be appropriate if you're like, tell me why it's so hard that you lost your baby and it was this early on. And maybe you didn't even know the gender, you know? And so it's like, I think, especially as women, when we're just seeing each other, it's just humans that are imperfect and go through hard things and having that conversation with love and empathy you know, even an example of being like, tell me how, how was it for you growing up? Or what was something that your family emphasized as um, something that was important? And going back to these human things that we all have values and a concept of home, and maybe even a family, even if it looks different, instead of being like, oh, well, you're Black, so you must dress or talk like this, or some assumption that makes you feel not human. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when we show up in conversation like that and apply, like you may not be able to fully relate, but there's other things that you can relate to. And you know, when people say things to you with intention and love and respect, it feels so different.
0: Yeah.
1: It's shifting it from, I have questions that I want answered versus I want to understand you as a person. It shifts
0: it. That's really powerful advice. What about when? So, a couple of questions that have come up for me. So, one, when someone is maybe realizes they've misstepped, they've done something wrong. They feel shame. They feel like, oh, I I just, I don't ever want to even go there again because I realized I was wrong or I looked stupid or I sounded stupid or whatever, because they realized they used some phrase or said something that, that hurt someone. How do you... What do you say to people who feel that way? Or what? what is your message surrounding shame? Because I feel like that's where a lot of us go if we realize like, oh, and you guys have even said like, we realize that we've learned and we've, we've expanded our knowledge and understanding of how things were or why certain things are the way they are, what to say or what not to say. So talk to me about that shame and how to move past that.
1: That's a really good question because shame is a true part of this conversation for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's feeling shame over things they personally said or did. And sometimes it's feeling shame because maybe their ancestors have done things that have been extremely harmful um, or even,
0: just or just maybe growing. even like grandparents, like not that far away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Ago,
1: or Even I had a friend the other day, she was like, Oh, I just feel like I'm such a stupid white girl that I even don't know this. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong that you don't know. No, yeah. It's more, do you want to know? And are you willing to learn? Right, so yeah. I'll yes. let you go back. No, you're <laughs> fine. You're fine. So truthfully, shame is not productive. There's nothing about shame that is going to move a conversation forward that's going to heal or help anyone. Guilt, on the other hand, if we feel guilty, it really should only go as far as to inspire us to do better to change, to take action in something. But truthfully, shame is never helpful. I think it's literally shifting a mindset of switching it to action. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit in this shame. It's not helping me and it's not helping other people. And so if I've said something or done something wrong, I need to correct that. And I also need to help Educate and teach other people how not to make these same mistakes. Like we're in this together. And I think the more we are expressing and teaching and loving and learning. It's really gonna benefit everyone but but shame is something we try and avoid at all costs. Well and and I recognize this is not everyone's method. Yes. When it comes to yes
0: I wanted it, to bring that up too to this because conversation. You guys yeah. have been intentional about not creating yes. shame, but I see so many messages out there, including on Martin Luther King Day where I saw so many people saying, quit sharing your white people, like quit white people quit sharing quotes. Like this is not helpful. It's not productive. And I'm like, well, that's also not helpful to like make people feel stupid and just yell at them. That's also and, not.
1: And I actually, that's a great thing you bring up right there because I think Alexis and I, our whole point is people need to understand the whys. If we yeah. really want people to be invested in this. So to get on Instagram and say, white people stop sharing Martin Luther King quotes, they're going to say, okay, am I just being X'd out? I wanted to help celebrate this holiday with you, you know, and they don't understand why. But truthfully, if we can understand that Martin Luther King was a very complex individual who taught a lot of different things to help marginalized people, and that some of his quotes have been weaponized against the Black community, to say, stop doing what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. Just do it like Dr. King. But they don't fully understand who Dr. King was. Or his message and how he was radical for that time. He was He even scared. The was, you know, after him. Yes, he was considered the most dangerous man in America. Like majority of Americans did not like him. And Mm -hmm. so the person he is today was not who he was perceived to be during that time. And if you really look into his message, you see, whoa, this is so different than what I learned in school. And it's fascinating, but I feel like our first Martin Luther King day, we gave our followers a challenge and we said, go read the letters from Birmingham jail. And people were floored. Like our DMs were full of people that were emotional. Mm -hmm. They were connecting things from then to now. Their minds were blown. And so because we, I mean, we're imperfect humans and we have to figure things out too. And there's things we've said that we regret in all areas, you know, and that we felt that shame and we want so badly We feel like this is so important. We want people to participate in this, that our method is like, let's not sit there. Let's create a way and a pathway and let's go dig a little deeper and learn a little more. And then you on your own will recognize why maybe that initial thought or impression was just a tiny bit of it. And there's so much more to it, right? Yeah. I absolutely understand when you say, people don't always have the method that Alexis and I have. And sometimes a lot is lost where you can just be like, but then how do I do it? I was trying to help. I had great intentions. We do know that that exists. And and there's different levels of education for everything. I feel like we know we're beginning level. We want people who are maybe too afraid to participate in this otherwise to come and hang out with us and to make it something that we can do together. But we know there's other educators that they're a little more advanced level. And some of the things they're asking for are like, you know, they want you you to be where they are. They do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I want to ask next question. So how do you teach someone when they hear something that like, ooh, that's off, or you shouldn't have said that? How do you teach them to, in in not not a shameful way, but in a productive way to call it out and to correct it. And here's something that I'll tell you that has haunted me for years. Um, I picked up a babysitter once to watch my kids and was driving her to our house and was asking her where she wanted to go to school around here because it was like a school of choice. And she could pick between two different high schools and I was asking her about one of the high schools in the area, and she was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go there. There's too many Mexicans there. And this is at a time where, at the time, I was driving my kids 20 minutes away to a school that was a Spanish immersion school that was majority poverty, like below poverty level Hispanic people on purpose so that my kids could be surrounded by more diversity. And that was really important to me. So like something important enough that we were making a huge effort to take our kids' to another school. And, and so obviously that made me really uncomfortable, but I didn't have the words for it. So I just sat and was like, Oh, okay. That's really bad, but I didn't know what to say. So I didn't say anything. And it's bothered me for years. Like, what should I have said? You know,
1: not alone in that, that we freeze oftentimes Mm fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's really normal. I would say the key to it is instead of reprimand, try to understand. So a good Mm -hmm. response would be. Well, you know, help me understand why that's a concern for you. And yeah. if it can become a conversation as opposed to, why did you say that? Da-da-da-da-da. Then they're mm. going to feel shame. Yeah. You can open it up to a conversation and guide it in a way that you can offer them perspective, teaching tool, you know, any any positive things. And truthfully, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Most of the time you will feel a little uncomfortable and they will too. And that's okay. But discomfort is very different from shame. Mm -hmm. And our friend, Dr. LaShawn, who's brilliant. She's like, if I like you, I'm going to tell you if you have something in your teeth, right? Yes. And you might feel uncomfortable when I do that, but I don't want you going out and showing that to the world. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you. And she's like, if I like you and you say something racist, I'm going to tell you because I don't want you going and showing that to the world. I'm going to help you get that out of your teeth, right? I think to have that perspective that we are offering them something more and and not to not to stop ourselves just because we're uncomfortable. Well, and re- helping people sometimes recognize like what that belief is. Like we talk a lot about bias Mm -hmm. because we feel like we all have it. There's no one that doesn't have it. It may be because of where you grew up, maybe your family's beliefs. And the cool part is, is once you can track it back to where it came from, then you can shift it and you can change it. Right. There's even examples. I thought of one, when you mentioned that example. Um, Oh, I had a friend that kept, Referring to black people as colored people And I think because we're saying like Now some people are saying people of color It was just she was a little confused Yeah, it wasn't intentionally harmful Yes, and she was saying things like on Instagram, and I was like, oh, I really like you. And I would rather have me tell you this. So I just explained to her a little bit of the historical context. And I showed her that during the civil rights movement, during segregation, the signs in the windows that said no colored people allowed here. And then showed her how in front of the drinking fountains, like this is a colored people drinking fountain and swimming pools. And I just explained to her a little bit about that. And I said, I know you didn't mean anything by it, but just let me help you understand. And I'm telling you this because I really care about you. And she was so thankful. She was like, oh, thank you so much. And for looking out for her. Yeah, yeah, it changed everything for her. And honestly, your babysitter, she may not have known.
0: Oh, this is like a teenage girl. You know, she's not even old enough for high school yet. I was asking her in like eighth grade, "What high school do you think you're going to go to?" And and clearly, too, she's hearing that from other people, probably her parents. Yeah, she.
1: If you would have asked her, "Well, what makes you not want to be around Mexicans?" She may not have had an answer. It may be something that's instilled in her from the people around her. Mm -hmm. So to have a conversation, it may have been like aha moments as we get older we might have our reasons for our biased beliefs, thoughts, prejudice, things like that. But these young kids, a lot of times it's because they overheard a conversation or they saw something that seemed... Well, and this was was one thing I thought of too. This is funny. We're going to share our guilt. Cause I actually have serious guilt about this. I don't know if you remember this story. Oh. <laughs> You're like, what are you going to say? So our best friend in high school, growing up, her family's from Mexico and mm-hmm. they are just incredible people. And they welcomed us in. And we kind of felt like we were adopted into their family. Yes. And we went out to eat to a Mexican restaurant and they knew the owners of this restaurant, but we're like a Teenagers or college age, we were in high school, I think, but some of the men that were in the kitchen thought we were cute. And so they (laughs) were like opening up the kitchen and winking and whistling at us. (laughs) And we're just like kind of giggling, but we didn't know quite how to handle it, which, you know, young girls, you never know how to handle that. Mm -hmm. So we come home and we're sitting at my friend's house, our friend whose family's from Mexico, and we're talking about it. And we were kind of annoyed. And we were being kind of rude. And we're like, what is wrong with those guys? Like, we couldn't even eat our food. And we were totally saying all these things. Well, her dad walks in and he is giggling, you know, and he's like, has lived in Mexico the majority of his life. And he's like, girls, you need to know how to take a compliment. And we're like, a compliment? And then he tells us, which we love and respect him so much. And he said, I followed a girl for blocks just because I wanted her to know how beautiful she was. And I whistled and I hummed songs because I wanted her to feel like the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. And And we're sitting there like- Massive cultural disparity here where we just didn't understand. And so we're taking offense at something when we should be saying, thank you. you yeah. Know? And they mm-hmm. weren't being, there was nothing disrespectful. Disrespectful. No. It was really, and to hear him explain that. It was like, it was such an eye-opening experience. So even like we have thought things or said things that we now are like, Ooh, that was really biased or that really was putting those yeah. people in a box. Because yeah. it's really cool to apply our culture, the things we know to everyone else. So when things are different than what we know to be true, then we think, oh, they're doing something wrong. It's like, it's just a cultural difference. And it's an opportunity to learn the different ways that people navigate life. Yeah.
0: I loved that example. And just, gosh, I'm like, everything that you guys are saying, I'm like, yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Um, But I'm I'm trying hard to, to not interrupt you, but I'm like saying yes, amen to everything. (laughs) Okay, I really want to talk for a minute about kids. How do we teach our kids? How do we do better in our homes? It's so important to me to try to do better. And we've tried to do things in our home, but I want to hear from you guys what your best advice is to moms like me who are like, how can we create kids who are more racially inclusive and have love for diversity and for all people? So it's not one conversation. And just like with any thing
1: that you really care about, you're going to mess up and you're going to do it wrong. The other day I was telling Shantae about something I was trying to help my kids understand and they were just not there for yeah. it at all. And I felt so disappointed, Yeah. but it, the the takeaway I had was I saw where they were. So mm-hmm. the next conversation I could come in where they were better. Mm. And so I feel like when we are diversifying the world around us through Books, art, music, and just like how we teach kids about the diversity of nature and the beauty of that. When we have those conversations with our children about people and cultures and places and languages and food, like they're going to take how we feel about it and that's how they're going to feel about it. And then based on our investment and what we're willing to learn and bring them along with us, Mm -hmm. it just makes it so natural. Yeah. it's really, it's really an interesting process. And as I'm a mom and going through this process, I find that it's not a perfect, flawless thing. But we want to really normalize differences because for kids and their, there's the simplicity of how they perceive the world. If If different isn't normal, then different is wrong. It's that simple for them. So if we can look around our our world, our home, our schools, and say, what are they seeing? Is every superhero, is every princess of with white skin is that what they're seeing Mm -hmm. so because that's going to give them a belief that that's how it should be right to really take an assessment of what they're exposed to what music what food when I introduce a different type of food do I tell them where this came from and how cool it is and how their culture is different do I am I giving them all of this rich information so they can love diversity Mm you know because Silence is our biggest teacher. And if we're going to be quiet about it, they're going to make inferences that are probably not healthy and lead to bias
0: and prejudice. Or it's going to leave that up to like their kids at school and things that they're hearing outside of our homes. Yeah. Yes. Defaulting to that.
1: as, As you're taking on these conversations, which sometimes aren't easy. And like with anything, you want to try and make them natural as opposed to, okay, sit down. We're going to have a talk because they're <laughs> going to shut down, but you just want it to be a really natural thing that happens over and over again. And my eight-year-old, he's, he's very inquisitive and really likes to learn about history and things like that. And so we had a great conversation on Martin Luther King Jr. And who he was and his beliefs and how can we continue his work today? And we talked so much about his dream and we read the speech and I'm like, I am super mom today. (laughs) I was feeling so good about this conversation. So he goes to school the day after Martin Luther King day and he comes home and he's like, I wrote a paper. He's eight, by the way. He's like, Yeah. So we wrote a little paper and drew a picture about what our dream would be like in relation to Martin Luther King Jr. So I'm ready for this. I'm like, yeah. thinking He's going to move mountains. He's going like, to
0: nail it. Yeah. He's yeah. going to nail
1: it. Right. So his dream was to become a professional football player. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> Did he hear anything I said to him for that hour conversation? Like, I thought he was in it with me, but it's just a testament that this is not one conversation. Yeah. Your kids are take from it what they take from it. So this is ongoing. This is something that becomes part of your family culture, embracing and loving diversity because it's not a one and done. It's just not. Right. And when mom and, and dad are invested And they are excited about these things, then kids are too. Yeah. It works that way.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And also that just kids will be kids. They're not necessarily going to be like these intellectually (laughs) stimulated mini adults most of the time. A lot of times they are just like, oh yeah, I wanna, I wanna be a Disney princess when I grow up, or I wanna be a football player. And and that's okay. But I do think the tone in your home is so important, maybe more important than even. You know, did you like really go through all these like historical not that that's not important, but I think the tone when I think back to like the tone that my mom always took on things, she was it was so important to her because her mom was Japanese, and so she was she was like, You need to learn this. This is what you have a grandma who's full Japanese, who there's a big language barrier. I was born in Japan, people are going to treat us differently because of that. I was treated differently. Like you need to understand what this was like for me, what this was like for her, what this is like for other people. It was so deep for her that I don't remember a lot of like the specific conversations, but I remember it was like a really strong tone of this is important, you know, and And that was constant. It was constant in our homes.
1: Well, and you feel that your mom was comfortable to have those conversations too. And most people that we talk to, they say, we couldn't talk about this growing up. Mm. If we said something, our parents would be like, we don't talk about race. Yeah, (gasps) really? And and they think that if you don't talk about it, then that means you just automatically love everyone, but that's (laughs) not how it works. (laughs) And let me just say this, add this to it. When you do have these conversations, especially with little kids, and we suggest with little kids, you're not diving into history, but you're talking about skin color and melanin and things like that. But no, they will ask questions and they'll probably ask it in public and they'll probably ask it in front of a person of color. And you shouldn't freak out or shame them or panic because we want questions. That's how we keep this conversation going. As We're, parents, as we parents. want our kids to be thinking and asking and so us we questions. we can direct yeah. them. Maybe they ask a stranger something and we can say, next time ask mommy. But that was a great question. Like help them know their questions are necessary and valid. And yeah. we want to talk about this. Yeah. Oh, I well, love then, that advice. And you said something else that I loved that I wanted to connect to about your mom and your Japanese like family history and that heritage. And that is a really great way to start these conversations with your kids is about family history. Mm -hmm. Where did your ancestors come from? And I feel like we have worked really hard to diversify like our children's world and our friendship circles. And one of the things I love is where I can say like, you know, mommy's best friend from Brazil let me tell you about this, or this is where so-and-so's family came from, and this is some of the food they eat. And I feel like the fact that my kids have a reference to a person, Mm -hmm. and then I tie in all of this great culture and education surrounding that, it increases their like love level. Yeah. Yeah. So much like my daughter the other day, she's like, Mom, I think the Mexican culture is the most beautiful culture on the planet. And then she told me all these different things. And one of our best friends, who's still in our life, is from Mexico. And she was like, I love it when I go to her house and how her family kisses me on the cheek and the smells and the food. And it's like, that to me as a mom is, I'm like, she feels a love she's she feels seen a connection. that connection. Yeah. She's connected it to family history and she loves her own heritage and family history. And she also has a love for other peoples. And so yeah. I think that's such a good way to start the conversation is talk about your family's ancestry and then other people too. We all have culture. Yeah, we do. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful advice and something I need to remember too. And we have great opportunity for that. Not only on my mom's side, but also my husband's family is from Samoa. And there's a lot. There's a lot there too. You know, the way that his dad was treated and the way that he, some of those things that even my husband is still trying to break that he got from his dad of like, oh, like, we're not as good as other people because we're from Samoa. And I, like, I still have to talk at Neil, stop it. That is not like, we got to yeah. break that I out of you. Not. I got to shake that out of you because I don't want my kids to feel that way because that's not true. You know, yeah. but it's just such a like cultural thing that has come down generation to generation in his family that we talk about, but I need to remember to talk to my kids about it too because yes, it is yeah. it's a, such a great place to start. If people really want to do better with, making their circles bigger and being more inclusive. What's your advice for that? Because I feel like I, I want that, but probably like a lot of other people, I don't have a ton of easy opportunities right at my fingertips. We live around a lot of other people who are just like us. Um, so how do you tell people to go outside of their comfort zones to find more diversity and inclusion in their own lives? in their own circles? So it's, it's hard. Like, first, I just want to
1: say that because typically we spend time with like our neighbors or our church groups or who we work with. Proximity is a really big part of it. But I found that showing up and supporting cultural events, like even on a university level, mm-hmm. in a community, city events, that's a really good way to sometimes meet people, volunteer to help with something that maybe would bring a more diverse group together. I feel like just being really intentional, and it's some people are like, I, my mom got a call when we were little girls saying, I want my kids to know how to be around Black people? Can our kids have a play date? And you know, it kind of feels awkward and weird, but it's important that we just try to take ourselves out of our normal patterns and put ourselves in new situations.
0: But I want to pause right there and and address that because I don't ever want someone to feel like, oh, I want to be friends with you just because you're Black or just because I want to look like I'm... Inclusive. You know what I mean? Like that's weird yes. too.
1: So so that's the thing. And I think that's the tricky part is people actually do that. Like they find <laughs> someone I know who is of color and they're like, okay, that's the person. I'm gonna be friends with them because I don't, I'm it's like a checklist, right? Yeah. yeah. I think if we do what Alexis is saying and we're taking ourselves out of our normal pathways, our normal circles, which is going out of our comfort zone. We are going to different things and involving ourselves. You want to make natural connections. Hi, how are you? Where are you from? See where that goes. What can you learn about that person? What can you connect with that person? And those natural friendships can develop, but it it takes work and it takes a lot of intention. Yes. Well, I um, have a friend that for a few years had an interfaith women's um, conference mm-hmm. and women from, I mean, they were in our community, but she pulled from a lot of the different churches mm-hmm. and we all came together as a collective group. And we just talked about things that were important to all of us. And I remember helping with that, being a part of that. I made so many friendships and still to this day, so many of my friendships and connections, I can track back to that event and what came from it. And I feel like the women came, we connected, there were so many religions that were represented so many different races, but Mm -hmm. we were all there for something similar that I, all the time, I'm like, how did I meet that person? Oh, it was that interfaith women's conference. When we're looking for events like that and supporting those types of events in our community or maybe even traveling to go to a workshop or a conference that just gets us out of our normal routine. And there's like science in this too, that to diversify your world, you really have to break up your routine, even from like networking and business. Yes. There's, don't go the same places that you always go. Yes. Go different places. Totally. And, and I think that is and I really think it's helpful. In, it's important to note that diversity is so much more than color. Yeah, that's what we picture diversity. Oh, I just need friends of different colors or races. No, I mean, diverse religion, political views, education, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, all of these things are going to enrich your world and your understanding of humanity.
0: Yes, yes. And I had a friend too, who kind of called me out when I was nervous about switching our kids because we we were so invested in that Spanish immersion school and it just killed me. Like it was heartbreaking to take, especially my oldest daughter who had learned Spanish and we were so invested, like I said, in this school. And I was considering another school and talking to a friend about it. And I was like, I'm so sad to lose this diversity for my kids. I think it's so good for them. And she was like, Corinne, at this other school, you have kids who are Chinese, who are Indian, who are, and she was pointing out all these different cultures and backgrounds and she was like no they won't all be poverty stricken like most of the kids were at this other school but you you need to open your eyes and see there will be a lot of diversity at this other school that they'll go oh, to yeah. and i i i was called out in a good way i was so grateful that she pointed that out to me i was like yes you're right it's it's okay to see that there are more there's more than one way to do this to expand our circles it was a good learning moment for me but okay we're out of time. I could really just ask you so many more questions, but I'm going to give people an opportunity right after this last question to find out where they can keep learning from you. But last question, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this interview to remember, what do you want that one message to be?
1: Just one? I know. (laughs) That's so hard. I'll I'll share one and then you can share one. okay? Okay. Mine is connection through understanding. And when we do the work and we are invested in learning about other people and lived experiences, it creates more connection. And I just believe that we need more human connection than ever for our mental health, for just the beauty of diversity, to just be good humans. Just recognizing when we increase our understanding, we increase our ability to connect to other people and see them for who they are my response was very similar to that, but I was going to really see understanding, but I think just looking at the world with the desire to learn and know other perspectives and to stop applying our perspective onto the world, but mm-hmm. but let other people teach us Teach teach us to understand and and gain connection through that. So I think I said something really similar to Alexis. But anyway, you know, yeah. and I like what you said there too because to understand doesn't mean you have to agree. Right. But when you understand where someone's coming from, why they think the way they do, what lived experiences like shape them into who they are and what their reality is like that is important. And we all need to be seen, valued and heard. And when we can do that for someone else, hopefully they can do that for us too. Yeah.
0: Yes. I mean, I feel like the message, the strongest message that I got from both of you today is see people as people, not as problems. And, you know, and that, that just opens up a whole world of love and understanding and Thank you guys so much for this. Where can people find you if they want to continue to learn from you or maybe do one of your workshops or just hang out with you live on Instagram?
1: Well, we are on Instagram. We're at Let's underscore sis. And we do try and share, you know, when we do workshops, speaking events, things like that, we try and share that from our platform. So yeah. Yeah, come, come hang, hang out with, with us Instagram, <laughs> on
0: Instagram. Yeah. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes too. So thanks again, you guys.